Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I'd like to thank you for joining us today. We have a special guest and a very important program because if you have younger children in the home, sooner than you could possibly imagine, they're going to be growing up and thinking, who am I going to marry? And if you have somebody already in high school or college age or a young adult in your family, you really, really want to listen to the show today. I have with me Dr. John Van Epp, who is the author of a book entitled How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk, The Foolproof Way to Follow Your Heart Without Losing Your Mind. Dr. John Van Epp is the president and founder of an organization called Love Thinks, and you can find out more about him at his website, lovethinks.com. He's the author of How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, which really blends in-depth research with very compelling stories that provide a roadmap for making healthy relationship choices. He has presented his programs internationally in seminars and conferences, including the Smart Marriage Conferences, which I have heard him present at multiple times, in fact. His courses are being taught internationally by over 6,000 instructors in counseling and agency settings, high schools, junior high schools, colleges, universities, prisons, and military installations. He has a master's in pastoral counseling and psychology, an MA in church history, and a PhD in counseling and psychology. And most importantly, he has been married for over 34 years to his wonderful wife and is a proud father of two daughters. Dr. John Bedepp, welcome to Faith and Family. Wow, it's great to be here, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on and giving me an opportunity to, to talk to your audience. Well, as I mentioned to you just before we came on the air, we've had a number of families visit us here at the Family Life Center, and it's very interesting to watch a college-age student or a young adult come through with their family, and we have a lot of books and a lot of CDs and all these type of things, and it's interesting. They always stop at your book and pick it up. It's the one, and it's uh, not only a compelling a title and a nice cover, but it just seems to grab them. And I'm wondering, uh, what grabbed you to want to even write the book to begin with? That's a great question. Uh, in the in the 90s, I had a full-time private practice in Ohio and was also teaching uh, graduate studies in uh, marriage and family assessment. So I would leave my private practice, zip over, teach some students uh, who are going to be future professional counselors, and then come on back. Well, you know, in counseling after so long, um, you start to see patterns of what people struggle with. And one of the common struggles was choosing somebody with confidence that this person was going to be a, not just a good partner, but just even a good friend and trying to figure out what this person was really like. and all of those kind of details and the momentum of attraction in the beginning of the relationship oftentimes subsided to some 
somewhat of a bit of confusion as to, I thought I knew you, but I'm not sure if I really do, and maybe I need to take more time. Well, I would leave working with these clients, struggling commonly with these types of issues, uh, how to pace their relationship, how far to go in different areas, as well as what to get to know. And then I would zip over and teach graduate students assessment. And a lot of the uh, coursework research involved in assessment was what would be called premarital predictors of marital outcome. So if you wanted to predict what marriage was going to be like for this individual, what did you need to figure out about them? These were premarital predictors. What I found was nobody that I had known uh, and nobody that I had read had actually cataloged all of that research in a user-friendly way for singles. So I basically translated all of that assessment research into a guide that would be an individual's GPS system. And I packed it in uh, a model that I developed of uh, what's called relationship bonds. So here are the major bonds that connect you with another person so that you can think specifically about how far you're going in each of these major areas of connection or bonding. And here are five major areas to get to know uh, that research has shown will predict what this person will be like. So that's really how it all started evolving, is I felt it was a tremendous need um, to provide individuals with a roadmap of how to sort through the issues of a potential partner and to pace their relationship in healthy and safe ways. Now, your, your organization is entitled Love Thinks, your website, lovethinks.com. But, you know, Dr. Van Epp, in my experience... When young people fall in love, that's the last thing they seem to do is think. <laughs> so how do you bring thinking, and you mentioned pacing a relationship, usually it's just like you lose everything. And it's a, a person can be so objective about watching one of their friends in a relationship, but when it comes to them, they're not thinking. So how do you think in a relationship? Well, I'm, I'm going to start by just agreeing with you uh, wholeheartedly. Um, there's real interesting research, uh, some research from the College of, of London, where they did brain scans of people that were doing problem solving. And, of course, you know, the frontal lobe, that big <laughs> part of the brain, when you slap your forehead, you're smacking your, your, your analytical center. Uh, that all lights up in orange and red when you do these scans. Well, when they showed people pictures of those uh, to whom they had love feelings, <laughs> the frontal lobe went kind of gray. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that explains it. We have a short circuit up there. So there's something that about our wiring that works against uh, the the head and the heart working together. However, um, in over time, people's heads do start kicking in, and usually um, they regret uh, times where their heart was driving everything, and they weren't using their heads. And they say, oh, if only I knew then what I know now. And, and so um, uh, my design really is to help people um, have all of the wonderful experiences of falling in love. I, I actually was smitten at first sight when I met my wife on a college campus, and I didn't even know who she was. But um, I believe that that happens because it happened to me. But on the other hand, um, that's when you have to engage your head and heart together 
from the beginning on. So the, the term love thinks in all relationships, your head and heart must work together. And I think even in our relationship, God, that is true as well. You know, we are not uh, anti-reasoning, but we're also not anti-emotional or heart. We believe the heart and the head are part of the same God-created, you know, human sure. being. And, um, and they're designed to work together. So uh, really, um, it's a lot of times for people, they just don't know what to do or how to pace a relationship or what to look for. It, you know, we've come from a history. If you go back hundreds of years, and other cultures certainly are that way still today, where guidance systems were built into social norms, so arranged marriages or some type of arrangement with matchmakers. All these things were part of our history of going from singlehood to marriage, and we're very, very individualized. But with all of this individual freedom and, as you know, with greater freedom comes greater responsibility. But with all of this, we have had very little to no formal instruction for individuals on what to look for in a partner that really predicts what that person is going to be like, how to sort through those issues, what even to talk about. The best we've done is premarital counseling, I think, for the most part. So we take couples that are engaged and we're, we try to help them get prepared for marriage. But I always felt we needed to go upstream, way upstream, and help people, even pre-relational, to change the templates of their thinking about what they want in a partner, what they should look for, and exactly what healthy relationship development looks like. Now, you mentioned development. You have a five-step model for a bonding process, and I'm looking at it, and I'm also looking at our control board for our radio show, and we have sliders on our control board for each microphone and every electronic component, and I these, to me, look like the sliders for a control board for a radio show. But I'm looking at five, and that's your bonding process. Kind of visually and take us through those five steps and tell us a little bit about each one. I sure will. Um, so your, your listeners have to grab on their imaginations here. If you imagine just what you said, uh, uh, some kind of a graphic equalizer with sliders going up and down so that there's five starting on the left is no and each of these is representative of one of the major connections that are um you might call them the components of a relationship so a relationship our relationship steve is my connection with you well part of our relationship is how much we know each other and so these can be reciprocal, or you can think of them even as one way, how much you know me or how much I know you. So I'll just talk about my relationship with my wife, Shirley. So the no slider is reflective of how much a person knows another. And that's part, really, of all relationships. And it's very different than the next slider to the right, which would be trust. So it goes from no to trust. Now, you can know somebody way at the top, but trust them very little, of course. And um, trust is, when it's dropped, is weakening the feeling of closeness or bond in a relationship. You feel kind of detached from somebody if you've lost your trust in them. And the same happens if you 
know somebody real well. I know, I know husbands and wives that start to fall out of the know. They're busy, they travel, or different life changes have occurred, and they haven't stayed close in talking. So the know, the trust, both of those contribute a feeling of closeness or bond, but they are different. And um, the third one is rely. So it goes no trust, rely. And this would you think of it like how you meet each other's needs, how you depend on each other, what you do for each other. So obviously in my marriage with my wife, Shirley, we could know each other very well and trust each other, but start to lose that special ways of meeting each other's needs. So our reliance could drop, which would, again, impact how we feel close with each other. But if we went out of our way and thought of what is meaningful to each other and started meeting each other's needs in special ways, the rely would go up and the feeling of bond. So these are different, but put them all together and they start to uh, explain um, how relationships uh, actually are formed and um, what are the strands or the connections. The last two would be commit. This has to do with how much investment you have. So even a mother or a father have different levels of commitment to their own children. There's a there's kind of the, the defined commitment. I'm your father. I'm committed to you. I would give my life for you. And then there's the practical level of commitment that might be, um, but, you know, I have to work all the time, so I never have time for you. So mm-hmm. we, can, we can have commitment uh, in marriage as a, a formalized definition of our relationship. But then there's that whole heart commitment of how we practically uh, express the commitment. So it has to do a little bit with the definition of the relationship and how you invest in the other person, how much you put into it. And uh, the last one is touch, and that could be um, affectionate touch, like a a parent to a child, or it could be sexual touch between um, husband and wife and and lovers. So um, if I start from the left again, it's no and then trust, and then rely, and then commit, and then touch. And you can create different profiles. Uh, You can portray um, some areas strong and other areas weak, and you can also show the fluctuations that happen over time in almost any relationship um, where certain things start to get neglected or life just impacts you because of whatever, an illness, and a level drops. So... Uh, my design was people need to be able to visualize what exactly is involved in a relationship if they are supposed to be running it and managing that relationship. So it gives them a concrete image or visualization of what they are actually taking care of when it says, you know, run your relationship, manage it. Okay. You're listening to Faith and Family Radio. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and my special guest today is the author of the book, How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk, the foolproof way to follow your heart without losing your mind, Dr. John Van Epp. All right, Dr. Van Epp, I'm going to, uh, I'm looking at now, know, trust, rely, commit, sex, and I'm thinking of somebody who's uh, just returned to a college campus and meets someone They might have uh, a little too much to drink at a fraternity or sorority party, and all of a sudden they're getting these things mixed up, like you should really get to know somebody before you trust and rely on, commit to them. But what happens if you get these mixed up, like the touch gets even before maybe the no, like what's going on with young people today? Well, 
anytime in a new relationship, one level gets a lot higher than the previous. So whether it's touch or whether trust is a lot higher than what you know about somebody, there is a, there's a, an automatic vulnerability because it starts to create a bond without clear judgment. So it can skew your judgment. It can alter your judgment. So you say, well, how, how would anybody um, trust somebody more than what they know them? That doesn't even make sense. Well, it happens all the time. It does the happen trust, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Trust is what you project or believe about somebody. So, mm-hmm. um, so this person's out having a good time, and they meet somebody, and, and oh, um, what, you know, what year are you? I'm a, I'm a junior. Oh, I'm a junior you too. You know, where did you come from? Oh, I came from this area. Oh my gosh, that's uh, not far from where I came from. We're just different school districts. But so you start talking, you have this familiarity. Well, you really don't know this person. Uh, you just know some things about them, but every, every detail you get to know in the beginning, you fill in all the gaps and project onto them a representation so by the end of an hour or two, you are more in a relationship with a representation of your own projection than a real person, which, you know, it's terrible to say, but it leads to all kinds of harmless and yet very and, and other very serious problems. So you're saying basically um, the person is projecting their imagination rather than actually seeing the person in reality. That, that's exactly what it is. Okay. And um, and maybe their intuition and imagination, like what you said, is actually accurate. So um, I project onto this person that they um, are, uh, you know, my age and um, think like me and have a conscience like me. And when they say, um, I say, oh, I'm going to walk home now, if they say, oh, you know, I'll walk with you. Maybe I would project that everything is safe because I'm not a risk. They're not a risk. But we know that, um, you know, the most common form of sexual assault is, is date rape. So we have people that know somebody in small ways project uh, a lot of trust. And um, uh, obviously anybody that commits a crime like that is 100% um, responsible and guilty, you know, uh, the other person's completely innocent. But on the other hand, we, we make choices uh, of trust based on limited amounts of information because what we're doing is we're projecting. And this happens all the way to, I know people that um, uh, are single, but they have a, a child and they meet somebody and within a couple weeks, they're letting that person babysit their child. And um, maybe nothing happens and it's, it's all okay, but uh, at other times it isn't. And so this, this projected trust can occur in many different ways, but you just feel so safe with somebody when you think you know them when you really don't. I, I have something, Steve, that I call the 90-day probation period because I think it's a minimum of 90 days, so three months of talking to somebody, seeing them in different settings, and... Um, having some togetherness with them where patterns start to be revealed. Prior to that, most of what you're doing is projecting what you believe to be true about this person rather than what you have learned to be true. Now, Dr. Van Epp, in my experience, 
when somebody meets somebody they think they really like, it's like an old 60s or 70s muscle car taking off, dumping the clutch and hitting the accelerator. 90 days. It, I mean, people are are people even on average waiting nine days uh, before moving the trust and rely sliders up? No, I probably probably not. Yeah, I know no. my. Uh, um, I can tell you this: that uh, I know people that have stopped how they're doing relationships and made a radical shift. Now, I'm not saying, for example, um, I know people that become exclusive, but they hold off on developing um, all those five areas until the no seems to catch up. Mm-hmm. So they, they maybe feel like they can trust this person, but they really, they really back off of it. And mm-hmm. they, first, I'll give you a quick example. So um, is it important, if you, if you are dating somebody, is it important to see how they, how they treat you when they're angry at you? Oh, it, it's vital because if you're going to get married, you're going to get angry. It's because it's part of human nature. So yes, okay. you better find that out real quick. So that's that's really really important. Yeah. So, but could you imagine? Could you imagine going out with somebody for I don't know two months and never having a situation arise where they actually get mad at you? Okay. Could could that happen? So two months could go by easily, and I'm just picking one thing, which is probably why we ought to get people mad at us right away. So that we can get <laughs> <laughs> now that's a new theory I haven't explored. A new theory. Sure, I just took people off on the first yeah to see what they're going to be like. But the but the reality is, um, whether it's anger or stress or uh, issues of their family or any number of things, um, these things uh, take time to surface, and then they even take more time to repeat. So I say. Well, what's your rush? I think that you can figure out a lot about somebody um, just by hanging out with them, talking. Right. But uh, you don't need to um, move in with them within the first three months. That's And that, unfortunately, um, the sexual touch, whether they give up their residence and move in or whether they just start sleeping together, that has become so accelerated Um the trust goes up really fast, so they, they, mm-hmm. they've gone out with them, like you said, just a handful of times, mm-hmm. and they would say, yeah, I completely know this person, but it isn't that they completely know them. They trust them, and many times they're um, going a lot farther in the sexual bond, which is very bonding. And then when they start getting to know them, they, they realize that they didn't pay attention to things or they never saw certain things, and then they feel... Kind of deceived and upset and hurt inside and confused and not sure what to do and all of that could be lessened dramatically. Yes, if they would pace their relationship differently. Well, I'm sure you've heard people say. I've heard them say, "What was I thinking?" Well, exactly. They they were not thinking. They allowed that bonding process to accelerate prematurely, and there you go. You get yourself tied up in a relationship that, if you were using your head, you wouldn't allow to progress. Yeah, and I think um, in addition to that, kind of the sad thing is uh, we now have a culture. You know, I I remember a good friend of mine saying, um, what do we do when dysfunction is the new norm? We have a culture 
where accelerated connections, both in trust and in um, sexual touch, accelerated connections and bonds are the norm in many of the settings that people are in. And it's not just never been married, it's divorced people as well. And so you almost feel like if you don't, you know, we're on the third time going out or fifth time going out, if we don't have sex, something must be weird about me. And people feel that unspoken pressure. Mm -hmm. I think they uh, need to see that our culture is misleading us in relationship development. Long-term relationships are um, not getting a whole lot better. Cohabitation has increased. The breakup rate of people that move in and live together is significantly higher than the divorce rate. So it's not like all of our cohabitations are working out. Mm -hmm. And um, even under the best circumstances of cohabitation before marriage, it still has shown, even in 2014 was a research article that got all kinds of press that living together um, makes no difference. But if you look specifically at the research, it was only a very specific type of, um, of couple that was cohabiting. Um, but the, the, long, the long story short of that was even under the, what I might call the best of circumstances, moving in together after age 23, never being pregnant, marrying the person that you live with, and having lived with nobody else prior. But if you had all of those uh, conditions, you still had a higher divorce rate than those that didn't live together. So we have, we have norms now that um, are not being analyzed and talked about in formal ways, uh, but put a lot of pressure on people and I think are very misleading. And one of them is exactly what we're talking about, how fast we are expected to trust and to touch. Absolutely. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood. My guest, Dr. John Van Epp, author of How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk. Dr. Van Epp, we just have a a little less than a minute left, but tell us some of the things available at your website, lovethinks.com. I sure would. I um, have uh, the book, as you've been mentioning, but it's also a a program that people teach in lots of different settings. And then I have um, that that relationship attachment model we described in this program is the framework for a couple's course and a family course. And they're all teach out of the box. So you can buy the instructor kit, watch the DVD instructor uh, course, take a certification test online and, and become certified and then be able to teach these courses. So um, bottom, bottom line is that um, they really get used in lots of different settings in terms of Christian and non-Christian settings, All right. as well as schools. And um, going upstream with this course, Steve, we've got to reach people that long before they are in serious relationships. Absolutely. Really Couldn't agree possible. more. All right, yeah. you're listening to Episode 42 of Faith and Family. Until next time, this is Steve Wood. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.